Greetings, ladies and metalgents, and welcome to this latest rendition of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Now, on to the science fiction. Writing prompt. Water turns out to be the most deadly substance in the universe for life forms outside of our solar system. For intelligent life forms, to visit our planet would be akin to take a walk on a star going supernova populated by radioactive and poisonous monsters. We are Eldridge Abominations. Written by Ak1308. I was an astrogator second class on the first trip to the Jovial Diver, the one where we spotted the soap bubble. As it happened, I was the first one to get a visual of her. Through the spotoscope I was using to line up the astrocom sensors to get a star fix. Initially, I thought I had something in my eye, as a glowing ethereal blob moved across my line of sight. Then the scope moved to follow the light source, because I'd set it to do just that. And auto-focused. The bubble swam back into view, much more sharply defined now and clearly reflecting the light of the now-distant sun. I'll be honest, it took me a few moments to get my head together as the scope continued to track the bubble across the starscape. I mean, would you believe that you just spotted an unknown ship when you knew damn well there was nobody else twirling around the Jupiter orbit? For a few seconds, I wondered if someone had programmed it into the electronic interference as a prank. But then it turned 90 degrees and went behind a ring fragment. This wasn't an electronic ghost or a man-made piece of data loose in the system. It was real. That was when I slapped the all-hands alarm. Lieutenant McCoskey arrived at a scramble, tumbling into my workspace with his tunic half unfastened. He glared at me across the compartment and growled, This had better be good. Yes, sir, I pointed at the screen. We're not alone, sir. Not alone. He stared at the screen. What do you mean? Oh, oh, crap. As we both watched, the bubble pulled close to one ring fragment as if to examine it, then bobbled over to another. What the hell is that thing? I essayed a shrug. I'm guessing not one of ours, or any other space agency. Damn right. He keyed the mic on his tunic lapel. Captain, this is McCoskey in astrogation. We've got a genuine non-Earth origin piece of technology on scope. Flying around out there. Is there anything on radar? Captain Lorimar replied crisply. No, Lieutenant. We don't have any NEOs on our screens up here. Radar wants to know the last time that you cleaned your scopes. With all due respect, ma'am, this is not space dust. Sending you the last 30 seconds of footage. He jerked his head at me, and I set to work doing just that. Forty seconds later, and the captain contacted McCoskey again. I will ask you once, and once only, Lieutenant. Is this a prank? If it is, we will forgive and forget this one time. McCoskey looked at me, and I shook my head. He grimaced while looking at the image on the scope. No, ma'am. I say again, negative on prank. Hernandez swears that it's a genuine NEO. I believe her. Well, Radar says they aren't getting any kind of return from whatever that thing is, Laura Ma said testily. Maybe it's non-ferrous, I offered. No Radar signature. McCoskey passed that on. 
and there was a silence from the other end. The radar techs, I knew, were jealously proud of their equipment, though it was tuned to get images back through heavy interference rather than picking up an iridescent soap bubbles skittering through the rings of Jupiter. So, what happens now? I asked. McCoskey eyed the image on the screen. I'd say the captain's gonna call back to Earth and get authorization to initiate first contact. In which case, I suggest you get some rack time. We're not gonna get any coherent orders for at least one and a half hours. And that number only goes up for each politician they let in on it. Yes, sir, I agreed, heading for the hatch. Oh, and Hernandez. Congratulations, he said. I paused at the hatchway. What for? He gave me a halfway grin. You found them. You get to name them. Have fun. Yay, I said heavily and headed for the bunk room. Our orders came back eventually. It only took five hours, which I figured meant a minimum of political wrangling had taken place. We were to put our original mission, descending into Jupiter's atmosphere to see what was down there, on hold, and initiate first contact protocols. This didn't worry anyone overly much. It wasn't as though Jupiter was going anywhere, after all. A few of the crew were concerned about the fact that we didn't have so much as a BB pistol on board. What if the aliens attacked us and tried to steal the ship, they asked. So what if they did? The more seasoned crew members retorted. It took years to train every single crew member on the jovial diver to be able to operate the ship to a reasonable standard. A bunch of aliens wouldn't even be able to open the damn airlock without assistance. It would be like a chartered accountant climbing into the cockpit of a suborbital stratoliner and executing a flawless takeover. Never happened. We let off our drives and drifted closer to the soap bubble. Up until then, it had apparently been ignoring us, but now it seemed whoever was on watch had been sleeping at their post, because the thing suddenly jolted backwards about ten kilometers and then stopped still in place. I could just imagine a wide open eyes staring at us, going, where the hell did they come from? Without a radar return to go on with, and being unwilling to bounce a laser off of it in case we came across as hostile, it was hard to get a good read on its exact distance and thus its precise size. I estimated it to be about 500 meters across and a perfect sphere, delicately reflective on the sun side and glowing gently on the dark side. With my assigned duty to name the race, I officially named their ship the Soap Bubble, and the race within got the temporary designation Bubblers. Nobody argued with me, which just left the most important job, establishing communication. The radio guys were soon bombarding the bubble with every frequency the onboard equipment was capable of putting out, and some enterprising electrical engineers ginned up a few more on top of that. Not to be outdone, the radar guys wired a signal interrupter so that they could pulse messages through their emitters. I even volunteered to lean out the airlock with my signal lamp, working my way through the visual spectrum and a little bit on either end of it. Finally, after about half a day of this, we got a signal back. It was weak and in the extreme end of the frequency range that we could manage, but it was a distinct signal. As we watched and listened, it reiterated the digital sequence we'd sent, then completed it and sent back one of their own. 
We didn't have any first contact specialists on board, but we had no shortage of scientists, and they had a fairly comprehensive list of secondary specializations. In no time at all, they were zipping messages back and forth, working out what number systems they liked to use, base 8, what their periodic table looked like, much like ours but cut off about two-thirds of the way down for some reason, and making progress on a shared lexicon. Once we'd hashed out a means of sending an image and we knew that they would receive it the right way up and in the right color spectrum, we included a picture of Jupiter in the top corner for reference. We sent over four pictures of volunteers from the crew. In the event, this was Captain Lorimer and myself, the oldest and youngest woman on board, one of the scientists and a 17-year-old ensign called Roberts, who blushed every time I acknowledged his presence. In return, we got images of several octopoids with stubby purple tentacles, somewhat translucent. We could tell the colors were correct by the image of Jupiter that they'd included as well. The scientists barely drooled over the images, which included sashes or skirts of some kind of material. I wasn't sure it was supposed to be decorative or for modesty, and I had no way of finding out. We hadn't covered abstract subjects such as nudity or taboo yet. It was about then that one of the scientists asked the captain if we shouldn't invite the bubblers back to Earth. We were currently in a parking orbit around Ganymede, but an ongoing first contact mission surely took precedence over the exploration into the upper atmosphere of a gas giant. Captain Lorimer sent the suggestion to Earth, while we continued to chat back and forth with the bubblers. They seemed about as excited as our scientists to talk to someone new. The questions posed in the stilted tone required by our limited mutual vocabulary hinted at an ocean's deep intellectual curiosity. They would agree, we were sure. The message came back. We were to pose the invitation politely, but not attempt to force the issue if they said no. That was fine with us. We could tell the bubblers were keen to learn more about us. They had already asked many questions about our material science. So Captain Lorimer posed the question via the scientists. Would you like to come back to our homeworld and speak to more of us? See our civilization for yourselves. I could have sworn the whole ship lit up for a moment. The answer came back most definitely yes. They would like that very much. Then there was a pause. Another message came through. What star do you come from? One of the scientists laughed out loud as he composed the reply. This one right here. He included an image taken seconds before of a distant sun. As it happened, the earth was in view off to the side as a tiny blue dot. So he added a helpful arrow. This time the pause from the other ship was much longer. It dragged on for so long that one of the scientists sent a message asking if anything was wrong. The answer that came back seemed almost reluctant. We should have asked this sooner. Following that was a query about our biological makeup and processes, including our comfortable operating temperature. This sort of thing was second nature to the scientists, so they bundled it all up and sent it away. Carbon-based, oxygen-carbon dioxide breathing cycle Strong dependence on water, average body temperature, 310 Kelvin. We'd explained Kelvin early on and gotten their temperature range back shortly afterwards. Once again, there was a long 
balls. Then we got our data packet back, and you've never heard so many jaws drop. When we used water, they used liquid hydrogen. That was the basis for what their bodies used for blood. Instead of carbon, their biology made use of sodium in ways that made our biologists swear and tear their hair out. Their operating temperature was 10 Kelvin, so cold that even our best cold environment suits would freeze solid and shatter. But we would be even nastier to them. Just being near them would boil their blood. And if they somehow lived long enough past that, merely being touched by water would make their bodies explode. A lot of tiny inconsistencies suddenly made a lot more sense. They were as close to the sun as they dared go, even with their reflective spacecraft. They thought we were tremendously brave and advanced, because we were flying around in a ship that didn't seem to bother with shedding heat, even while we tap-danced along the edge of an inferno. Meanwhile, we were like, meh, wait till you reach Mercury orbit. It was a sobering discovery. Humans and bubblers were united in sapiens and the world to discover the universe, but they would never meet face to face. No human would ever shake a bubbler's tentacle in greeting. We could and did share many scientific discoveries, including their faster-than-light drive, with the caveat that we were going to have to build and operate it at near absolute zero until we figured out workarounds, and some of our better heat insulation materials but there would always be that divide between us. Eventually, we did part ways. The soap bubble turned and flitted out of the solar system, accelerating faster and faster until there was a silver line, then a dot, then gone. Captain Lorimer ordered the scientists to stow their gear and prepare to carry out our primary mission. Everything we'd gained from the bubblers had been transmitted to Earth, and now it was time to do what we'd come here for. While I was securing the astrogation gear, Lieutenant McCoskey entered the compartment. Nice showing there, Hernandez, he said. Thank you, sir, I replied. Just doing my job. I sighed. It's a pity they couldn't visit Earth. He chuckled. Look at it this way. We've got no territory that they want, and they've got no territory that we want. If nothing else, we'll never go to war with them. As the jovial diver prepared to plunge into the swirling cloud layers... I nodded. It wasn't much in the way of consolation, but at least it was something. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.